Good morning. Steve has asked me to read from James today. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. Verses 3 to 10. James 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that we can meet this morning. We have a good group. We're happy for all who are able to come out. We know that some are still home, ill, or with other problems. We ask you to look in on them. We ask you to look in on Steve this morning as he presents your word. Help us all uh, in submitting to it. We know that uh, you have called us to a new life. You've given us these words to guide us in that new life and teach us how to act and how to live. We pray your help in that and your help day by day as other troubles come attacking us from side to side. Uh, it's a troublesome time here right now, you know that, and we just ask you to help us through it. Help us in this hour, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? After yesterday, a good time was had, hopefully by all. Thank you again to everybody that did so much work to do that. It was very, it was very fun. Anyway, just looking around today, we got some people missing. I think we may have a little bit of battle fatigue in the congregation this morning, but that's okay. So. This morning, I want to give you a little history lesson. I'm so excited. I love history. I come to church to get a history lesson. Steve, great idea. Well, uh, as my uh, high school teacher said, those who forget history are doomed to repeat the class. So I hope you guys will... Pay attention. Now, I'm going to test your history knowledge today. There are, very, there are many famous dates in world history. 
And I want to know if you know this one. July 25th, 1945, a date which will be a date. It will be a date. I don't know. Um, not too many people uh, know this date. So, what's that? That is a picture of, well, that's the Potsdam. Oh, don't, don't get ahead of me. All right. So we're going to get into the League of Nations and all that stuff, because isn't that fun? Did, did you not get enough of that in junior high? You want, you want more? Good. So let's back up a little bit. The story starts with these guys. This is Emperor Hirohito, and he has a different name now. I forget what they call him now, but they don't call him Hirohito, and his cabinet. And... Um, they were, as you may know, fighting a war at this time. And at this point in the war, things were not going well for them. The uh, United States had been, mostly the United States, but it was also Australia, New Zealand, other allied countries, had been pushing them back. Remember, they started at Pearl Harbor, which is at the top there, and they came south, and they swept through a bunch of tiny islands trying to push the, the Japanese empire farther and farther back. And so um, between early 1942 and uh, mid-1945, there had been a lot of battles, and uh, you know, famously things like Midway, you've heard all these uh, terms in your history class. And they got pushed back farther and farther. And as the war continued on, um, there were some things that happened that uh, by the time they had got to the Marianas Islands, as you can see there, and farther on, um, pretty much the naval power and the air power that the Japanese Empire had, had been reduced to just a, a shell of its former self. They really couldn't mount an attack. <laughs> it's okay if you raise your hand. This is like class. They, they really couldn't mount an attack anymore. The, they were pretty much done. But um, the cost of this war, aside from being very expensive in terms of dollars, was rather high. It cost 108,168 Americans killed, missing, or wounded. That's a lot. It also cost 287,811 Japanese soldiers killed, missing, or wounded. And Worst of all, there were over 24 million civilians who were killed as a direct result of just the Pacific War. That's a big number. I can't get my head around that many people. And I've spent quite a bit of time in LA. <laughs> I still can't get my head around that number of people. It was, it was a tragedy. The war was over. 
It was done. By early 1945, it was pretty clear that the Japanese were the Japanese Empire, um, not the Japanese people, but the Japanese Empire was just trying to hold back the allied nations as they kept pushing island to island, and then to the next island, and to the next island. This group of men here, and we don't know how much of a role the emperor actually played or how, many, how much it was those men who, had, who were surrounding the table. We don't know uh, who was responsible for starting the war or continuing the war. Um, we do know what motivated them. They, they had seen other uh, countries thrive, um, and they had spent a lot of time in Germany during, uh, before World War I, seeing how, how Germany had become successful by basically conquering a lot of different countries and taking them over and taking money and building an empire. And they said, we want to do that. And... These men, the reason they wanted to do that is because they had always been a small country and they, they were always in danger of being invaded. They're vulnerable. It's just a chain of islands in the Western Pacific. And they wanted to become strong. They wanted to be safe. And they wanted to be powerful. Well, by the end of this war, that had all gone wrong. And... It was clear that there was no way that they were going to be able to keep their empire, and they might actually lose their country. So what they did was they, they told all the soldiers and all the citizens whom they had spent the last 50 years getting everyone to worship the emperor as their god. They convinced them all, fight to the last man or woman. Don't ever surrender. No matter what you do, do not surrender. And that brings us to July 25th. Well, we're almost there. Now, you're going to have trouble seeing it on this slide, but I'm going to talk about one of the last battles between the Allies and Imperial Japan. It happened on an island called Okinawa. If you look really closely at the slide, there is a red dot at the end of the upper arrow. I can't even see it. Yep, there it is, it's on my screen. I don't know how well you can see that, but there's a little red dot on that upper arrow. One of those tiny islands was the island of Okinawa. And this was one of the last battles that the United States fought against Japan was at Okinawa. And they had uh, told the, the soldiers, of course, make the allies pay for every square inch that they take. Make them pay dearly in blood. They told the citizens of Okinawa, you need to be afraid. These, these are ravaging monsters coming to do unspeakable things to you and your family. Whatever you do, do not surrender. 
And because of that tenacious defense, even though this is just a tiny island, there was a high cost for just this one island. It cost 70, the, the lives of 77,000 Japanese soldiers for that tiny island, Okinawa. It cost the lives of 14,000 U.S. troops. And it cost the lives of 140,000 Japanese citizens on that island, which is, as you might guess, pretty much it was most of them. And that brings us to the date that we're talking about. July 26, 1945, was the Potsdam Conference. It's where the Allies, you'll see them all seated there. You'll see Stalin. Uh, they're all gathered around the table. Stalin cared what happened because Japan borders Russia. And they sent them an ultimatum. Surrender now because you're going to lose. Just surrender. Let's stop the killing. Let's stop the bloodshed. Let's stop the draining of the economies, the, the plagues and famine that are bound to come. We can avoid all that if you will just surrender. You know you can't win. Well, the... Japanese uh, leaders, the emperor and his cabinet, weren't having any of that. They were, of course, embarrassed. The Japanese people were confused. How can God lose his empire? Because they had, as you recall, been taught to believe that Emperor Hirohito was their god. How can our god lose. That's impossible. And there were a lot of people confused about that. Years after the war ended, there were people that there were pockets of soldiers who just simply couldn't believe that the war had ended in defeat and were still fighting. And so what it basically comes down to was they made a mistake. <laughs> they made a big mistake. They were prideful they were arrogant, they were greedy, and now it had all come to an end. And they couldn't admit that to themselves. They were thinking, you know what, we wouldn't mind the war being over, but here's the deal, we, we want to come out of this our way. We, we, want, we want certain concessions. We want you know, some of our holdings in uh, mainland China, Syria, you know, Manchuria, different places like that. And certainly all, uh, there are some other islands. Clearly we need uh, more resources in Japan so we don't have to import everything. We, we're not really looking at an unconditional surrender. And that's what the Potsdam Conference demanded, that they surrender without conditions. You don't get to say what happens. We will tell you what happens at the end of the war. Well, the emperor and his cabinet were having none of that. And so, if you think about the number of lives that it took just to take Okinawa, 
and the fact that they had to keep taking islands after that, and the fact that they still had Southeast Asia to try to clear up because there were still a lot of civilian deaths there. They were obviously looking at a pretty bad equation there. What's it going to cost to, to get the Japanese to surrender unconditionally? And as you might imagine, they were estimating millions of allied lives, mostly American, at that point being lost. And who knows how many uh, civilian lives. It would have certainly gone into the tens, perhaps hundreds of millions. So they had a decision to make. And so, as you probably know, on August 8th, 1945, the Allies, i.e. mostly the United States, dropped a nuclear device on the town of Hiroshima, and depending on whose estimates you believe, somewhere between 90,000 and 148,000 people died just from one explosion. And then three days later, another nuclear device was dropped on the town of Nagasaki. And depending on what estimates, um, somewhere between 40,000 and 80,000 people died. Now, I'm not giving you this history lesson to try to say it was good or bad. Um, as a Christian, I have a hard time getting behind destroying 100 or 200,000 lives of innocents. I can't get behind that. So, but at the same time, I realize they felt they needed to have an unconditional surrender. I'm not here to talk about whether or not the United States did the right thing during World War II. I'll leave that up to you to decide. Uh, God, doesn't, God hasn't given me any special insight to that. But what I can do is look at this story and relate to it a lot. Because... I was baptized when I was pretty much Jesse's age. About He just had a birthday yesterday, and I was a week and a half shy of my 12th birthday when I became a Christian. And um, I've had ups and downs in my Christian life. I should point out, I should close the history lesson first as you probably know, on September 2nd, 1945, as a result of the nuclear weapons being dropped on those Japanese cities, Japan unconditionally surrendered to the Allies. They weren't all killed. They weren't all destroyed. They didn't burn Japan to the ground. On the contrary, learning lessons from World War I they realized that you need to build up those who were defeated, and Japan became a rival of the United States and still is to this day. Their economy is incredibly strong. And, um, you know, having lived in Lansing, Michigan, I understand the impact of Japanese cars on the American economy. Let's not talk about what car I drive. 
So the question is, was all this necessary? Was it necessary because the war had been over for a year for the Japanese. They could have saved a lot of lives, soldiers' lives and civilian lives, if they had just said, you know what, you got us, we're done. Because there was no hope of them rebuilding after that. And so cities were destroyed and people were killed. And it was completely unnecessary. So then you're saying, well, Steve, that's a great history lesson, but I thought you were a preacher. Well, I'll tell you what this has to do with you, because I'll tell you what it has to do with me. When I was almost 12 years old, I made a decision to give my life to Christ. And most of you in this room have made a decision to give your life to Christ. The problem with me is I went for years and years and years trying to be the best Christian I could, and it just wasn't working for me. There were times, there were dark times. How can a Christian go through such pain and confusion, right? That doesn't make any sense. I had the Holy Spirit in me, didn't I? Why was I struggling so much? Why was I having such a hard time? Well, because, you know, there are family influences and there's also the biological component. Yeah, but even though there are reasons why I was struggling, the biggest reason I was struggling is because I was fighting a war that I couldn't win and didn't need to win. I needed to surrender. Let's look at um, our text again, James chapter 4. As Bob read, I was trying to figure out what was going wrong with my Christian life, and here James is saying it. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that it's for no reason that the Scripture says God yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? Did you catch that? God had an investment in me because I was baptized. Now, I've gone through my own Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Almost literally. I was a Christian. I knew a lot of Bible. I was teaching Bible classes. I was doing everything right. And I just couldn't figure out why I didn't have the peace and the joy and all the other things that Christians were supposed to have. Why was I getting rocked by every thing that came into my life? Why was it affecting me so deeply? Why was I so dissatisfied? Why was all this going on? It didn't make any sense. I'll tell you now why. It's because I did not admit to myself 
Something God knew that I was not looking for an unconditional surrender. I wanted to be a Christian, but there were certain things that I felt like I just kind of needed. You know what I mean? Let's not be crazy here. You know? I knew I was supposed to be a minister before I became a teenager. I, I went to school to become a minister. Linda married a minister. I didn't become a minister. Because it's too insecure. I have too many bosses. It's, it the pay, and there's all, all this money over here. And there's all these, why would you do that? Maybe you're not good at... I wanted to be master of my own future. Master of my own pocketbook. I wanted to have a career and be some sort of important person or something. Can't I do that and be a Christian? Most people can. The problem is, God made it clear to me what He wanted out of me. And I said, well, that's cool, but I can't really go for 100% of your plan. The problem was, because that was what God had in, my, in store for me, not unconditionally surrendering to God wasn't just a little point of contention God and I had. It was something that was destroying my soul. Because when you are crucified with Christ and yet go on living, which you have done as a Christian, you're buried with Christ so that you can be raised with Him, you do not get to set conditions. There aren't things you get to keep. Oh, we just want to keep the, the Korean Peninsula. No. There are no conditions. Do you get this? And if you're trying to Christian, what you're trying to do is everything that you feel like doing and leaving out those things that God has asked you to do that you don't feel like doing. So you do not have the peace and joy and everything else that goes with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. God has invested you with His Holy Spirit, but you are not full of His Holy Spirit because you're full of your conditions. I lived that life for way too long. And one of the reasons I want to preach is because I would give just about anything to save another person from the life that I chose to live. My Hiroshima and Nagasaki were, were bad. And so did God let those things happen to me? My answer is yes, He absolutely did. Yes, He absolutely did. Because I was refusing to surrender. And as we read here in James, God yearns jealousy over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. He's not going to just let you go. No problem. You with me? It would have been better had I not been baptized into Christ as far as my life here on earth goes, but it would be far worse 
for my life. You get what I'm saying? My Hiroshima was my actual physical death. I'm talking about heartbeat, lungs pushing in and out. That all stopped. But the doctors took care of it. That wasn't enough. So then Nagasaki also got bombed. And finally, I figured out, I just can't win. God had the grace to annihilate my life because he was invested in me. And because of that, I am saved. It's getting deep in here today. I realize. So, verse 6, he gives more grace. Because we refuse to surrender. Because we like the things that we like. We want to have the things we want to have. We don't want to do the things we don't want to do. He gives us grace, and sometimes that grace looks like a mushroom cloud or a flatline heartbeat. Verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Surrender. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, because you, O emperor, are surrounded by demons. If you're in a struggle against God. You know, the emperor could at any time said to that room full of generals and important staff members, get out and don't come back. And it would have all been over. Everything would have been fine. Today, if you're a Christian, you can say to all those demons telling you, what conditions you need to have or else you'll die or else you'll have a life that you just can't possibly... How can I possibly live through that? You will live through it. You will thrive in it because you will be filled with the Spirit of the Creator God of the universe. And they're lying to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Conversely, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Who's God, you or God? As I said, I would give anything to spare people what I have been through, and I, I know that other people can relate to what I'm talking about. It's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you're evil. It's because you've been lied to and you believed it. Because you've been hurt by this life. Because you, you don't feel safe. You have reasons to be scared. How do I know that I can trust God? We talked about that last week. You can trust God to be way bigger than your foolishness. You can trust God to be way bigger than your rebelliousness as long as you're willing to come back and say, God, help me. Which weirdly is all you have to do. And God will help you. He will lead you by the hand or carry you down the path of righteousness if you just let him. Doesn't that sound too easy? That sounds too easy. It is. It's too easy. It's not fair. But that's how good our God is.
We just have to reach out to him. Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him to repay him? Because from him and through him and to him are all things in the universe. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed from down in the inky blackness of despair to the mountaintop of joy and peace, even in the midst of suffering. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When I was in that deep, dark hole, I thought my brain is just broke. I had smart, educated people say, you know what? Your brain just broke. Really? They told me that. They told me that. But God renews our minds. By His grace. Yeah, you may think my brain is broke, ha ha, laugh, laugh, but it's not. I'm daily growing in peace and joy when I draw near to God. And it's just that simple. If I am a living sacrifice, and when our mind is transformed, we can test so that we can figure out what is the will of of God. Doesn't that just keep coming up over and over again? I believe the Spirit of God wants us to understand that we need to spend more time having ourselves transformed so that we can figure out what do you want me to do, God? Because all the stuff you're doing right now is not working. It's not working. How many years do you have to keep doing the same thing that doesn't work until you decide to listen and say, God, I give up. What do you want me to do? And God does miracles because our mind and our soul and our body are connected and God heals them all. When you surrender. I remember the night I surrendered. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember. This is going to sound kooky. But I'm not afraid. <laughs> I already seem like a kook. I remember laying on my belly. I can't believe I'm telling this story. I thought about it. Am I really going to tell that story? Yeah, I'm going to tell it. I was laying on my belly all night, crying. Just saying, God, help me. Give up. 
God, help me. I give up. I'll do whatever you want if you'll just help me. That day, he helped me. He changed me that day. Does that sound kooky or crazy? Then you don't understand who God is. God is powerful in a way that you can't even comprehend. Our final scripture is from 1 Peter chapter 5. Starting in verse 5, the second half of verse 5. God opposes the proud. He's not going to give up. He's not, you can't get God to back down. (laughs) He's God. God opposes the proud. But he gives grace, which means he gives good things. He gives help. He gives support. He gives miraculous gifts to those who are humble. So, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Isn't that interesting how those two things go together? If I humble myself, God will exalt me. Part of that humility is throwing out my anxieties. All those things I'm afraid of, what if I surrender East Asia? What's going to happen? Surrender all those things. Because unlike President Truman, God is perfect. And he cares for you. So be sober-minded. Be watchful. Look out. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to chew up and swallow. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Of course, James is talking about much more suffering than I've ever gone through. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you Christians, who are, if you are baptized, that's because God called you and you answered the call. He's called you to his eternal glory through Christ, and he will himself, one-on-one, restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's the fall of 1944. You can't win. It's not working. You're dying. You're losing ground every day. 
Why don't you just surrender? (laughs) If God is merciful to you like He was to me, He will allow you to go through enough pain that maybe you will turn to Him. But why do all that? Why do all that? Why carry around these bags of worry and anxiety? And you know what? I've got my plan. I've got it all planned out. I'm in control of me. I'm in control of me. Oh, ow. Oh, ow. Actually, I can't stand. That's the life I was living. I know others of you are living that way too. It's 1944. You can't win. Are we going to have, is God going to have to let the bombs fall in order for you to surrender? Or are you going to send the demons out and say, don't come back, God, I surrender unconditionally? What's it going to be? Choice is yours. And maybe you're not a Christian. Well, you can become a Christian. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God is good. Because Jesus willingly sacrificed Himself so that you don't have to go through the the punishment that you've earned. You instead get the showcase showdown. Both sides. I'm the king of bad analogies. But I hope you'll listen. And I hope that God has given me words to tell you, words that I wish I had heard. You're hearing them now. Surrender. 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 Stop. Just stop. It's not working. Surrender. If you're not a Christian, we can baptize you now. If you need prayers of the church, if you have a praise that you want to share with the church, Share it with us so we can praise with you. If you have a sorrow, share it with us so we can sorrow with you. I thank you guys for letting me share with you because God has, of course, been good to me. And although I was having a bad time, your prayers have lifted me up. And I thank you for that. If you need prayers from the church, if you need help surrendering, whatever you need, if you want to be baptized, come forward right now while we stand and while we sing this song.